So as I shared uh, in the earlier service, um, last week Matt, I uh, was asking Matt what I should preach on, and he said, uh, well, Josiah, I know you don't want to be put in a box, so you can just preach on whatever you'd like. Um, and so uh, because we were kind of busy, we've been busy this week, uh, I guess you guys know our house has been under renovation and construction, and we have tons of contractors in our house all week. Uh, and so I just took the last Bible study that I did on campus and turned that into a sermon. So it's kind of saving me time. And, um, and I, felt, I, feel, I felt like this is what God wanted me to speak on. Uh, when it gets closer and closer, it felt more and more intimidating to think about speaking on this topic. Uh, it was great to be on the campus. And there's one student that has a kid. The rest are all... Uh, you know, either singles or, or recent couples. And so I could kind of come in as the expert and be like, this is how you parent. And uh, in this room, I have, you know, very experienced parents, some that are done parenting, some that, you know, are in the middle of it. And um, the thing I, I really, I was just sitting there praying during the worship and I was saying, God, please don't let me come up here and try and pretend to be the expert because there's nothing worse than somebody that says, the way I'm doing parenting is the right way and everybody else is wrong. Uh, and I, I really um, thought through and worked through, and I, and I hope that doesn't communicate. And the other thing I was afraid of is I don't want to lay a burden of guilt on anybody. Because that's the other thing that, I mean, parenting and guilt just kind of, if we're not careful, we can really lay a burden of guilt and religious expectations on people. Um, my intention in this uh, is just to lay out the basics. What is the heart of parenting in the Bible? What... What is, what is the, the throbbing core of what it means to be a parent? And for those of you that aren't parents, won't be parents, or it's not anywhere on the horizon or it's in the rearview mirror, um, this is for you too because this is, God is a father to us. God is our parent. And so keep attentive to uh, the lessons you can learn about how God parents us and how God deci disciples us and how, how, how God um, is our father. So that being said, let's just pray because I feel like I need a little extra prayer this morning. If you wouldn't mind, just pray for me. I feel like I could use your help. So uh, go, go for it. Yeah, come on up here and bless me. Father, we thank you for the gift that you've given Josiah of being able to take truth and articulate it clearly. And so we just ask you to give him a calm um, sense of your presence and direction. Thank you for your word, which is truth and is powerful, more powerful than a two-edged sword. And we ask you to equip him and just um, carry him this morning. Speak to us and speak through this message in ways that we cannot even comprehend, but that will bring much fruit for your glory. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Joanne. All right, so this is kind of a large, tangly sermon, but it comes down to two basic points that I hope everybody will remember when they leave here. The first one, if you want to be a better parent, you might as well just turn that off if you want. If you want to be a better parent, be a better person. If you want to be a better parent, be a better person. And this is one of these concepts that's not complicated, but it's hard, right? There's some concepts in the Bible that are very complicated, you know, but they don't actually require you to do anything. And there's some things that are very, very simple, but very, can be very difficult. Um... Grow in your faith, grow as a person, and grow as a couple. Become a better person so that you can become a better parent. Um, and, and this can be very liberating for a new, new parent, for example, because when you first have, you know, you have a kid and you're kind of trying to figure yourself out, it seems as though anybody that's further along the journey that has more kids or is older, 
uh, feels like they have the right to, to come and dump their information and their perspectives and their opinions on you. And pretty quickly you can feel inundated with different parenting techniques, different models, different methods, conflicting advice of people that are, are more disciplinary, people that are more love-based, people that... And, and it can be very overwhelming. How do I actually raise this kid? And I think the, the basic of it is work on yourself. Work on your heart. Work on the core of who you are. And it'll work out. It'll work out. Um, just to prove this point, if you can think of a moment, uh, and we'll, we'll kind of shine a, a bit of a negative light on your parents, but you won't share this, okay? But think about for a moment a time when your parents kind of, they missed it, okay? They, they made a mistake. It was a time that they, they blew it as parents. So just get a moment in your mind of thinking about your parents blowing it. Um, being mean or, or, or doing something wrong. Now tell me, did they do that because they had the wrong parenting method, they had bad advice, or something of that matter? Or is it more of there was sin, there was something in their heart that wasn't right? Which one was it? Who says it was a parenting method that was wrong, it was bad advice of some sort? And who said there was sin, probably... Okay, nobody wants to raise their hands. That's fine. It's good to not want to, uh, uh, to, to feel a little bit self-conscious about putting, um, putting blame on our parents. Um, Galatians 5.22. Let's turn there for a second. Galatians 5.22. Galatians 5.22 says... The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So in that situation you were thinking of, if your parents had been a little bit more kind, a little bit more gentle, had a little bit more self-control, had more joy and peace in the situation, do you think maybe they could have navigated that situation and, and have it not be hurtful to you? I think that's probably the case. I don't know about you, but and when I look at my own parenting and the times that I have really messed up, it often has been not enough of this, not enough joy, not enough um, peace, not enough patience. So how do we get more of this stuff in our lives? How do we get more joy, peace, patience, self-control? If we back up a little bit in Galatians, it says, uh, starting at verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition one to another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So this is talking about a life that is saturated with the Holy Spirit, that is led by the Spirit, that is filled with the Spirit. And if you are under the Spirit, you're not led by the law, you're not held captive to these um, negative things. And then it goes on to say, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then we get to where we were before. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So Paul is holding these two things in tension. We've got the fruit of the Spirit. And it's interesting that there's only one fruit. If you look at the Greek, it's the fruit of the Spirit is love. 
And then it continues. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, etc. There's one fruit of the Spirit, and it's love. And the fruit, if you describe, a fr- if you describe an apple, you would say it's red, it's yummy, it's got a, it's got a, a pit in it, etc. When you describe love, biblically, it is joy, it is peace, it is patience, it is kindness, etc. So the fruit of the Spirit is love which can be described in all these other ways. And the, the symbolism and the imagery of fruit is very intentional because you don't make fruit grow. I mean, you do, but you do indirectly. It's like hair. If you're alive, you're growing hair, right? Some of us more than others, some of us less than others. But fruit is something that if everything is right for the tree, it'll, it will produce fruit. And the conditions that need to be in place is to be walking in the Spirit. And when we walk in the Spirit, we will bear fruit. Uh, And the opposite of that is not walking in the Spirit and committing the deeds of the flesh. And the deeds of the flesh are deeds. There's no imagery here. It's just doing bad stuff. Um, When we're not walking in the Spirit, we will do bad things such as immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, a lot of these things are like, okay, that's not me, that's not me. Then we get a little bit closer to home, don't we? Strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger. Ah! Kids, go to your room. Ah! Disputes, dissensions. Everybody's disagreeing over a toy or Legos. Factions, this side versus that side. Envying. When we're not led by the Spirit, this is where we go. And all the parenting techniques in the world aren't going to help us. What we need is the Holy Spirit in us. And so if you want to be a better parent, be a better person. Grow in your faith. Grow in your faith. And obviously when we think about growing in our faith, the first thing that we think about is read your Bible, pray, go to church. And please do not hear me say that those things are negative. That is the place to start. That is you know, your, your meat and potatoes of growing in the faith. But we need to know that it's more than that as well. The Pharisees, um, you know, Jesus continually had confrontations with the Pharisees. And they outread and outprayed and outattended all of us. But their heart was far from God. And Jesus spoke over them the words of Isaiah, You people honor me with, my, with your lips, but your heart is far from me. And it's possible to show up in church and read the Bible and pray. And yet our heart is not open to God. We're not repenting of sin, we're hiding it. We're not doing our our righteousness before God, but before men to be approved by men. And what Jesus pushes us to over and over is really grow. Jesus says, to paraphrase Jesus, you're not fooling anybody. I can see your heart. And I want your heart to grow. And um, I mean, we all know people who, who have left the church and their reason was, I can't stand the hypocrisy. I can't stand the legalism. Um, and it's just more encouragement. Whether those people are right or wrong, sometimes people make things up uh, or, or see things in a different way. The bottom line is if we are really growing in our faith, we're going to be, become better and better parents. 1 Timothy 1.5. Um, as you know, Timothy or Paul was um, the great apostle who... Uh, you know, wrote a large part of the New Testament and planted a lot of the churches that descended down, uh, passed down the gospel to us. And towards the end of his life, he wrote a letter to Timothy, who was his disciple. 
And he said, kind of let me break it down for you. What's, what's, the, what's the core, what's the heart of everything I've taught you so far? He says, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The goal of our instruction, 1 Timothy 1, 5, great verse to memorize. The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. If your righteousness, if your, if your godliness or religion is leading you towards these things, you're doing it right. If it's leading you away from these things, from love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith, you're doing it wrong. And your kids are going to notice the difference. So as we grow in our faith, we're going to become a better parent, whether we have the best parenting techniques or not. Secondly, grow as a person. And this should be part of what I just said, grow in your faith, grow as a person. But I thought it was important enough to section something off and to say there is emotional growth that isn't necessarily something that you know, is, is super spiritual, but it's just growing up as a person, growing up as a human being, becoming more mature. Um, there's, I mean, there's a stereotypical journey that not everybody follows, but a lot of people in our culture follow where you're a kid. Then you become an adolescent. You kind of rebel against your parents. You, you pierce your nose, dye your hair, listen to rock music, and you kind of go that way. And eventually you grow past that and you kind of come back to the middle and you kind of forgive your parents, you get over it, and you kind of level out. Some people kind of get stuck in this rebellion against their parents, rebellion against everything they were raised with, and they never really work past it to get to that place of, all right, well, it wasn't all bad. You know, my parents made some mistakes, but it wasn't all bad. Um, and, you know, I've learned a lot of things from my parents, but I'm not just going to be a carbon copy of them. I'm going to make my own decisions, going to make my own choices in life. At some point, we need to move past uh, our upbringing, whether that's rebelling against our upbringing or whether that's just, you know, continuing mindlessly in exactly the same ideas as our, as our parents. In some way or another, we need to grow up and have our own lives and our own opinions and stop, you know, blaming all of our mistakes or all, all of our life decisions on our parents or on somebody in the past. Who are you? What do you decide your life is going to be. Grow up and be, and be a responsible adult. Um, find your identity and security as an adult. What do you want to be when you grow up? Um, some of us haven't figured that out. And, and so we kind of, or, or there's something we really want to be when we grow up, but we can't, and so we push that pressure on our kids uh, instead of just finding our peace and, and our security in, in who we are in Christ. Um, an important lesson that I learned uh, in this last couple years when we came back from Africa, we had issues, we had a lot of stuff we were dealing with, and we had a lot of counselors that helped us work through a lot of those things. And actually, through the process, I think we really grew. Uh, the net result of all that was positive, uh, and we thank God for that. Uh, and one of the counselors showed me something like this. Which Anybody seen something like this before? It's called an emotional wheel. Uh, it's kind of like... Um, Looks like you're, you're picking paint palettes for your house. But um, in the middle here are your, your six basic emotions. Fear, anger, disgust, sadness, happiness, and surprise. And then moving out from that are kind of subcategories. So if we just take anger here. Moving out from anger, we have hurt, feeling threatened, feeling hateful, feeling mad, etc. And then each of those is subdivided out. Hurt could feel feeling devastated or feeling embarrassed. Threatened could be jealous or insecure. Hateful could be uh, violated or resentful, etc. 
Now, the purpose of all that, and I know that you know us guys don't like to talk about our emotions and all that sort of stuff, but um, the counselor that showed me this said, it is so important for you to know what you're feeling and why you're feeling it and to be able to put words to it. Um, and so this became very, very helpful in our counseling process and, and working through stuff that, you know, is not to share for this, uh, in this context. But what, where I see this as being really, really helpful as a parent, let's just take a, um, take a hypothetical situation, okay? Guy's at work, he has a bad day, okay? He's a manager, nobody's listening to him. He's got a bunch of, uh, of millennials, they all, you know, think that they run the place, they tell somebody to do something, they're too busy on their phone, they tell somebody else to do something, they're, they, sit, they have better ideas how to run things, whatever. Nobody's listening to him. And so stuff isn't getting done. And he's just frustrated, frustrated, frustrated. And he feels violated. He feels hurt emotionally because he's the boss, nobody's listening to him, and it hurts, right? And then he gets home, and the first thing he sees is one of his kids made a mess. He told him before he left for work to clean up this mess. He didn't clean it up, right? So it's a discipline issue, right? This needs to be addressed. This kid, his son was supposed to clean something up and he didn't. But because he's got all the baggage of the day weighing on him and this, this hurt button, this pain button is getting hurt, pushed over and over and over of insecurity as a leader, not being listened to. When he sees that issue, boom, he reacts. It goes over the top. It's, he blows up and he unloads all his frustration on his, on his son, which it was a discipline issue, but it became way over the top too much. And the point of this is to say, what are you feeling? Why are you feeling it? And maybe on the drive home, or maybe you know, in some context where you're separated from everybody else, just think through, I'm feeling negative somehow. I'm feeling, I'm feeling what am I feeling? I'm feeling angry. Okay, what, what sort of angry? I'm feeling kind of hurt angry. Why am I feeling hurt angry? Well, maybe I'm feeling violated because da 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 da. And then you can work through it with God. You can maybe text your wife, man, I'm feeling so frustrated, but, and you can, you can work through it with your spouse. Um, and, and then that doesn't end up unloading on your kids, right? Um, so again, if you want to be a better parent, be a better person. Grow in your faith. Grow as a human being. Grow as becoming an adult. <coughs> Excuse me. I got this. Don't shake hands with me, by the way. Don't shake hands. Warning, I've had this cold for three weeks. It's a bad one. Um, and obviously, grow as a couple. Don't be afraid of counseling, seminars, books. Hey, you know, if there's something that's important in your life, you don't know how to do it, get help. Um, ask older Christians, more mature people, how they do their marriage, how they navigate certain issues. Spend adequate time together. Invest in face-to-face -face time, not just shoulder-to-shoulder. -shoulder. As parents, especially when you get into that, that difficult time, you're busy, kids are young, you got everybody's in diapers, you can spend all your time just shoulder to shoulder, just marching through, getting stuff done. Need to spend adequate time face to face talking about stuff. How's it going? How's your heart? How's, how are you feeling? Is there any way I can help you? So growing as a couple is going to make you guys better parents, obviously. Um, and all these things cumulatively are going to help you not parent from negative emotions. We can parent from a, a bad space, from a negative space. From insecurity, for example. So if, if we're insecure in who we are, we don't know who we are in ourselves, then our parenting style is going to dramatically change depending on who's around. If we're trying to impress them, if we're feeling embarrassed, if we're feeling, you know, if we're insecure, we're not a stable, um, 
we're not like a captain that's stable on the controls of the ship. We're going all over the place. And the kids are like, what, what are the rules? When I come to church, they're this. But when I'm at home, they're that. When grandpa comes over, they're this. So grow in your security in yourself. Guilt. I think our generation, my generation as parents, parents a lot out of guilt. Because we work hard and we come home and we feel like we don't have, we haven't given our kids enough. And so we, we feel like we can't discipline them and we need to give them more stuff. Be careful not to parent out of guilt. Um, guilt should lead you to, okay God, I'm feeling guilty. Is there a sin to repent of or is this just Satan attacking me and trying to destroy me through accusation? Because that's what Satan does. He is, Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And you will feel attacked often throughout your life just being self-critical and judgmental towards yourself. So either you're going to repent of something and then Jesus forgives you and the guilt is gone. Or you realize this is an attack of the enemy. It's not legitimate. I have nothing to feel guilty over. And you're going to stand against that in the name of Jesus and you're going to feel free. But you shouldn't be living day in, day out under a cloud of guilt. This is not healthy for you. This is not the freedom that, that God um, redeemed you to live in. Obviously, pride. I mean, if you want to impress your friends, buy a poodle, teach it tricks, and, and people will say, yay, you're a good trainer. Don't raise your kids you know, and, and get them to perform and, and do that as a pride thing you're, because that's going to put more pressure on them than is reasonable. If you have kids... You need to just be ready to be really embarrassed, okay? Just psych yourself up for this. A moment will come when you're in a shopping mall and they will just explode and they will scream and old ladies will look at you and think, you're such a terrible parent and you're going to feel so embarrassed and you're going to live, okay? It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Um, and your pride is going to be hurt by that. But that's okay, and we don't, we don't punish our children for hurting our pride. We always discipline them and raise them for their good, not, uh, not for our pride. Fear and anxiety. We need to leave our children's future in the hands of God. Knowing that they're going to break our hearts, knowing they're going to make bad decisions, knowing that we need to prepare them as best as we can for the future, but ultimately we need to leave them in God's hands and not be so afraid and anxious of the future and of their decisions that we try and micromanage and control every last decision in their lives, right? We need to be, as they grow up, slowly opening them up to more and more freedoms and more and more opportunities so they can make mistakes while the consequences are still small um, and not be controlled by fear. All right, so that being said, I think there is somewhat of a parenting model in scriptures, Okay, so this is really basic, and from here we can expand it into a lot of different directions. Um, and, and nowadays there's all sorts of models for parenting that I don't know what they're called. Um, but the basic of it is loving discipline. I think this is what scriptures teach us, is love and discipline together. Uh, and so let's take them one by one. Mark 1, 10 to 11. We read it just a little while ago. Mark 1, 10 to 11. Uh, this, ha this is in chapter 1 of Mark. It's right at the beginning. Jesus has not raised anybody from the dead. He has not taught anybody. He has not um, done anything remarkable in his life that we know of. And Jesus uh, is baptized by John the Baptist. And he says, uh, and, and immediately after being baptized, 
He saw the heavens open, and the Spirit like a dove descended on Jesus, and a voice came out of heaven, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. Before Jesus did anything at all, the Father was well pleased with him. And before our kids do anything at all, we need to be well pleased with them and communicate, you are my beloved child, my son or my daughter, and I am well pleased with you. These are two separate things, right? You're my beloved son. Sometimes we say, I love you, but right now I don't really like you. We don't say that, we might think it. But to say, you're my beloved, I love you, and I am pleased with you. You make me happy. I'm pleased that you're in the room. I am pleased that, that you're here. And later on, towards the end of, Mark, of uh, Jesus' ministry, uh, the Father repeats the same thing. This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. And, and us as parents, we need to speak that over our kids. You have something to bring to this world. The ground trembles under your presence because you are here, because you are important, because you are a world changer, because you are made in the image of God and the world should listen to you because you're important. Now that being said, um, there's still consequences. There's still boundaries. Our children are not like ancient Greek gods that, that can just walk around and do whatever they want. Our children are going to grow up into a world with rules and with structure and with consequences, right? And so we need to do all that we can to prepare them for entrance into the real world. And so this is a theme that's repeated over and over and over throughout the Old Testament, how God relates to Israel, how God relates to his church, and then all throughout Proverbs especially, how parents are to relate to their children, is to lay before them good and bad and teach them, if you do good, there will be rewards. If you do bad, there will be consequences. It says in Deuteronomy 30, 19, we won't go there, I'll just quote it quick. See, I have set, I call heaven and earth to testify that I have set before you life and death. Therefore, choose life and not death. And Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived, for whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. We have a generation that has been deceived. Okay, not everybody in our generation. I'm, I'm overstating over, uh, this a little bit. But many people in our generation have been taught that what you sow, you will not reap. And you can reap what you haven't sown. Um, but we need to teach our kids how life actually is. You will have the consequences of your actions. You are free to do whatever you want in life, but you're not free of the consequences of your choices. Um, and this parenting done right says your actions were wrong, but you are good. What you did was wrong. What you did there, you hit your sister with something, you, you talked back to dad, you, you didn't clean up your room. That was wrong. But you are good. You're my beloved daughter, and, and you I am well pleased. Now, when parenting is not done right, in our generation we... Um, well, let me ask you this. Um, if our society was a pendulum, and we had love on one side and discipline on the other... Three generations ago, which side do you think the pendulum would have been on? Love or discipline? Discipline, probably. Your, your parents and your grandparents probably told you stories about getting the switch and, and getting uh, you know, the belt sometimes, and, and even in, in school or sejep, sometimes getting the, the, the yardstick on, on the knuckles. And 
we were pretty strong on the discipline a few generations ago. And now, where do you think we are? We're pretty strong on the love, right? And there's not a whole lot of discipline happening. Um, we need to be somewhere in the middle. We need to give our kids structure. If we don't give our kids adequate structure, a few things happen. For one thing, um, there was something... We're going to talk about spanking in a second here. But there was something beautiful and precise about spanking when that was, was practiced often and, and was, was normal in culture. Because you did something wrong. I got spanked as a kid, all right, a lot. Um, and, and you find out about it, and your, your dad, uh, uh, you have a little talk, you get, the, you get the switch, you get the spanking, and then you move on, right? And, and, and the rest of your day is fine. Whereas now, we don't have that precision, we don't have that, that precise thing and often what happens is the discipline doesn't happen doesn't happen doesn't happen doesn't happen until the parents just get fed up to here and then what happens is words a big barrage of angry words about I'm just so fed up and I work so hard and I come home and you didn't clean your room and you just and then you're hitting your sister I just can't take it anymore and this little four-year-old kid is sitting there thinking I have no idea what you're talking about right but what comes through is, you're a burden to me. You're a bother. You've, you've bothered me. You've hurt me. You're in the way. It would be better if you weren't here. That's what can be communicated. Not precisely on this action here. You didn't clean your room. You should clean your room. There should be a consequence for that. Instead of being precise and being focused on the action, it can, it can hit the whole person. And so uh, whether we're, we're disciplining with actions or with words we need to find some way to be precise and to hit the action and to tell the kid throughout the whole process you are loved you are a blessing you are uh, you are cherished and a wonderful part of this family kids i have found got four kids they're all under 10 so i'm kind of in that stage in about 10 more years i'll tell you about the, the adolescent stage and how that worked out but for this stage what i have found so much is my kids need to know the borders they need to know what the rules are. It's like, you know, we just bought this property and uh, we've got a lawn on the side, uh, but the rest of it is just bush. And on one side, there's a house and in, in the back corner, it just, there's just bush. It's like all the way up the mountain. And um, so I'm working on, and it's a really big deal for me to find out where the borders are. And there's these little tiny pegs that they put in with a little orange cap on the top. And that's what tells me where the edges of my property are. And they're hard to find in the bush, especially when it's fall time and everything is kind of orange. Um, and so I, this is a, like an ongoing quest for me. I found about uh, 7 out of 10, but the last corner I haven't found. Um, but it's a big deal for me, and I'm putting a string all the way around so that if my kids are wandering in the bush, and if they get lost, they'll bump into the string, and then they can follow it back home. But also for me personally, because I've got neighbors on both sides, um, I want to know that if I'm cutting down a tree or I'm building a tree fort, it's in my property and not in theirs and we'll have good neighborly relationships. Um, kids as well, they need to know where the borders are. And oftentimes what I have found when I, when I feel like my kid is just, just being unreasonable and just pushing borders for no apparent reason, um, and finally it comes down to, okay, we need to discipline this. Go to your room and come out when you're happy. 
We do that fairly often with, with kids throwing temper tantrums or, or something else or, or taking something away or, or adding a discipline of some sort. At some point they say, oh, this is where, this is where the boundary is. I, I can do this action to a certain point and then there's consequences and I don't like those consequences. That's where the, that's where the boundary is. That's where the border is. And so they, then all of a sudden they know what, what they're, what they're um, in, anywhere within the parameters, they are free, they are blessed, they are a blessing. They, there's no consequences within this. This just happened, um, was it two days ago, with, uh, with our four-year-old. Um, our child was just becoming, I try to, to not say names or genders in my sermons, just because my kids might listen to my sermons someday, and I don't want them to uh, feel as though I'm using them as sermon, sermon illustrations. <laughs> Uh, in a negative way, I'll, I'll use them in positive ways uh, often, but um, one of our children who was four was just pushing, pushing, pushing the boundaries, hitting their siblings, uh, talking back, and what would happen often is, it started off as I would say, do this action, and they would say, well, I'm doing this right now, Well, I'm, and I would say, no, do this, no, but I'm doing this, and I'd say, no, I told you to do that, and she'd say, yes, but I said I'm doing this. So there's an authority thing. And then after that went for a while, it became, okay, do this. No. I'd say, well, I told you to do this. Yes, but I said no. And, and that was just a thing that, she, that this child felt like they could say no. Uh, and that was that. That was the end of the discussion. And it got to the point where finally in, in kind of this, this emotionally charged situation of this confrontation, which happens, right? And I said, you need to go to your room and come down when you're happy. And that's what they did. And, um, and just and my wife came home and she said, oh, you know that she was kind of tired, hey? Like maybe you should have, and I realized maybe I shouldn't have pushed it right at that moment, but that's just how it happened. Um, but about 20 minutes later, she came back down she, and she saw me and she said, I, I told my brother that I was sorry. Uh, and, she, and this child said, okay, it's our girl. You know who it is. <laughs> uh, I tried. Um, but she was happy. She was happy. For the first time in like three or four days, she was really consistently happy. And she was snuggly towards me. She was like coming out to me and, and giving me hugs and kisses. And that often happens. When you put a boundary, the kids get happy. And you enforce it. And, and it's reasonable. It's not over the top. And you're not angry. But this is where the border is. We have this strange um, ability, which is a huge responsibility, to create the world of our children. But there's that song um, that we sing often. You are my strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I seek. You are my all in all. Any child under five could sing that to their mother. That, I mean, for young children, their parents are their world. They're their strength when they are weak. They are the treasure that they seek. They're their all in all. And we create the world that our children inhabit. And we need to create a world that makes sense, where good is rewarded, where evil is punished, where things are relatively fair, where if you want to get dad's attention, you do a good job in school, you work hard, and you bring home a good report card and dad says, wow, you did a good job, and, and applauds you, or, or you do some nice piece of art, or, or you come with an interesting story and say, guess what happened today, dad? And dad says, wow, that's interesting. We don't want to create a world that's twisty-turny upside down, where bad is not, bad is not um, disciplined, where good is not rewarded, 
where the only way to get dad's attention is to cause a crisis and, and to rebel and to cause enough of a mess to finally get his attention from you know, texting on his phone or whatever he's doing. We don't want to create that. We want to create a world that represents how the world should be. So that when they get out into the real world, they're going to have a good, good uh, respectful attitude towards other people, other people's property, other people's bodies. They're going to have a good, respectful attitude towards authority. They're going to have a good, respectful attitude towards the world that God has made. And have the feeling that if I put out my best, that the world will give its best back to me. It's not always the case. But you know, our kids are going to be much more successful if they approach the world with the attitude that if I give my best, the world's going to give its best back to me. And this is what, this is what our responsibility is as parents. Our, our responsibility as parents is to, to be the world for our kids for a while so that they can approach the real world um, in a reasonable way. Um, I'm a little bit past my time, and so um, I'm, a few things I'm going to skip over here. So we're on the back of this handout here. I'm going to skip over, um, is it child abuse to spank a child? Well, I'll just mention quickly. Um, currently, the laws in Canada are that um, there is a protection for parents who spank their children. And the, the law is, the precise clause is, um, section 43 of the criminal code in Canada says, every school teacher, parent, or person standing in the place of a parent is justified in using force by way of correction towards a pupil or child, as the case may be, who is under his care, if the force does not exceed what is reasonable under the circumstances. So um, currently, there, there's kind of this debate, is it legal in Canada or is it not legal in Canada to spank your kids? Uh, certainly, um, uh, things have changed and we wouldn't want to go back to how things were a few generations ago. Um, but the current law is that if somebody accuses you of child abuse, uh, because of something that they see that is their obligation to report any child abuse that anybody sees. Um, there is a protection in the law here for parents or school teachers or anybody standing in the place of a parent. Um, but they need to prove, the parent needs to prove that this was for the education of the child and that it was reasonable under the circumstances. So there you go. That's just what the law is right now. Uh, there is a move in place. Um, the Can Canadian Foundation for Children, Youth and Law um, is trying to remove this clause from, uh, from the criminal code so that if a parent is accused of child abuse, they have nothing to fall back on. Um, so that would maybe be something that might be interesting to think about. Um, it's an important issue in Canadian politics right now. <coughs> is it brainwashing to, ch to raise your child in your faith? Um, this is a relevant issue for us because, um, well, because we have kids uh, and we have a faith. Um, do we raise our kids in our faith or do we wait till they're 15, 16, 17 and then say, all right, what, what faith do you want? And try and just raise them as blank slates. I would argue that it's impossible to raise your kids as a blank slate. Kids don't come out with a fully functioning brain that's, that's ready to write, you know, a doctoral dissertation on their personal beliefs on whatever. Uh, kids have basic instincts when they when they're first born they have certain um, impressions on them but but most of what they will grow up to know is what the parents give them as nurture as as instruction in life and so it's kind of like parents are going to download a certain operating system into the brains of their children and they can't avoid doing that 
You, there's no way you can, you can raise a child without giving it basic answers about what is good, what is bad, um, what happens after we die, what, what is the meaning of life. You're going to give them some sorts of answers for all these questions. And since this is the case, why wouldn't we raise them in the truth? If we believe this is true and we're building our lives on it, why wouldn't we raise them in it? Now, of course, once our children get past a certain age, they're going to want to install their own applications on their operating system, and they might want to add, download some patches and, and change some things. Um, and that's, that's where we need to trust God, and we need to have faith, and we need to, you know, love is believing all things, hoping all things. We need to believe and hope that we've done our best with our kids, and they're going to, you know, make good decisions in life. Um, but is it brainwashing to raise your child in your faith? There's no way you can avoid raising a child in a faith, and so why not raise them in the faith that you believe is true? Um, let's move through... No, I'm going to skip this. Um, there's some more stuff on the back here that you can read. Good insights, good... Well, hopefully they're good insights. Um, and uh, some more thoughts and ideas on parenting. I want to close our time here by uh, reading Hebrews 12, 4 to 11. Hebrews 12, 4 to 11. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, yet sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore strengthen the hands that are feeble, and, and the knees that are weak, and make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. This is the word of the Lord. So what this is saying is, look, we're going to go through hard times in life. And as Christians, we can't avoid the fact that God is behind it all. And what this is saying is God brings things into our life for our good. As parents bring things into their, into their children's lives for their good. Sometimes you bring discipline because the, the child has done wrong. Sometimes God brings hard things in our lives because we've done wrong. Sometimes you bring difficulty into the child's life because they need to grow. They haven't done anything wrong, but they need to grow. And sometimes you don't shelter a child, which is kind of the same thing as bringing difficulty, but you don't shelter them because it's time for them to grow up. And sometimes God either brings difficulty or, or does not shelter us because he wants us to grow and he wants us to learn. And the encouragement here is don't despise what's happening. Don't get angry. Don't lash back. Grow through it. And uh, lean on the fact that God loves you. God loves you. 
even though you're going, he's putting you through something hard, even though he's letting something bad happen, God loves you. And God speaks over you. You are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. Even as he puts you through something hard. And yet the promise in Romans 8 is that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. It is the love of God that, um, it is in love that God allows us to go through hard things and to be disciplined and to grow. And so I'd like, just like to end our time here in prayer. Thank you, Jesus, that, um, that you are good and that you have good plans for us, plans to prosper us and to make us grow and not to harm us or destroy us. And I thank you um, for your goodness to us. And as we think about being parents and the awesome responsibility that the, that is, I pray that you would give us grace and I pray that you would uh, help us to grow as human beings and grow in our faith. And I pray that you would give us tremendous wisdom as each individual situation comes up. In Jesus' name, I pray all these things. Amen.